Good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you here, whether you're here in our worship center or you're joining us online or out in the patio. Special welcome. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors, and it's great to be back. I don't know about you, but I just really enjoyed this last series that the guys did put together, the, the Come Alive series. Uh, we, um, I, mean, I was catching up on it after we got back, and then, but the last, the last uh, week I was actually able to be here uh, last weekend in the Saturday night service, and what a beautiful time that was, just a sharing of uh, their stories, how God has met them, and I hope that was encouraging to you. It's super powerful. You know, last night we had a, a next step dessert for kind of more, it's kind of designed for people who are new to Rocky Peak, and one of the things we do is we go over our, our seven core values, and number two is authenticity. Uh, living uh, honestly. And when I got to that value, I didn't even have to explain. I said, we all here last week. <laughs> that was the value. I lived up there. I was just so proud of them for just sharing so well their, their journeys. Yes, again, thanks for that. Hey, uh, secondly, is that uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that uh, kind of a big part of our ministry here is kind of teaching tours that we do in Israel. And uh, so we, we typically go every year. Uh, we limit that, that uh, the size just to one bus because we want to be able to move quickly. Uh, I call it Adventure Israel uh, because it's, uh, it's really unlike uh, most tours that I know we do a lot of hiking and uh, climbing and tunnel, uh, tunnel, whatever you do in tunnels, <laughs> on uh, <laughs> in caves, yeah, in caves and stuff. Like. And it's just, it's that we, we go a lot of places where other tours just don't go for reasons I won't go into. Um, and uh, it's just an amazing trip, and it's been really life-transforming for those who have gone in ways far more than I ever really imagined, and we really felt God very specifically calling us to do this about nine years ago or whenever it was. Uh, anyway, the reason I mention it is inside your program is, a, uh, is an announcement about that. So it's it got the dates next April is our next trip. Uh, we always have a waiting list of people that have kind of expressed an interest, and I think we put it out to them first. And I think that about 15 of those 50 spots, somewhere in there, have been taken. But we wanted to share it with you. If you want to, uh, to, to go with us, uh, you can kind of read about it here. Um, you can go online, follow that, sign up there. Um, but uh, we're, we're looking forward to that next time around. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And uh, I know Kellyanne mentioned that if you... Uh, if you're here in campus, you want to take out your green and white note sheet. That's good. For those of you who are joining us online, uh, it's either at the top or the bottom of whichever format you're, you're using, YouTube or the one from, from our website. But uh, you can choose uh, one of three formats there, but you'll definitely need this. So if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's see. So Father, we're just so thankful to be here in your house on this day underneath your leadership as our king. And Father, we're just so thankful for this opportunity to jump in and to explore this amazing uh, gospel that Paul's going to lay out for us in this letter to the Romans. And so, Father, we just pray that today, that uh, I just pray for energy and clarity. I pray for us as a church, we gather around your word, be hungry to learn, and be ready to listen and then to follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today in a very large, uh, famous city. Um, but he's, he's here on a mission. Not, this is not where he grew up. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, he was born and raised. He doesn't even live here now. Uh, he's come here on a specific mission, and he's going to be here for about the next three months. Um, but if you were to sit down and talk with him, have a cup of coffee, uh, he would share with you that something new is, stir- is stirring in his heart, that he senses he's at kind of a major crossroads in his life, that uh, the time has come for him to branch out in some new directions, some kind of bold new ventures. 
Uh, but he's also well aware that to succeed in these new ventures, uh, he's going to need some help. He's going to need some help from some old friends, some help from some new friends, and help from people that he's never even yet met. And yet before he launches out in this new venture, there's one final project. It's a project that's very close to his heart, something he's been working on for several years. He needs to wrap that up, and that's going to involve a trip. What he doesn't know is that something's going to happen on this trip that is completely going to derail his plans for this new venture. In fact, it's going to alter his future forever. Well, today, uh, we are launching, kicking off this brand new series that's called The Gospel of God. And for those of you who are brand new, and I know, you know, whenever we do a new series, uh, there's always people that want to jump in, especially at the start of a new series. Uh, maybe you've received a mailer uh, in your mailbox. Maybe you live in Simi and you've read the world-famous Acorn. Um, but whatever reason that you, you are aware that we're starting a new series and, and you're here. So if you're, you're brand new to Rocky Peak, a special welcome to you. Um, but uh, what this series is about, this series is going to be an in-depth study at one of the most uh, influential, important letters in the history of the world. Uh, it's a letter that was, it was written by, by one of the um, kind of greatest leaders of the early movement of Jesus. We call him Paul or the Apostle Paul. And this letter we find in the second part of our Bible, we call the New Testament. And Paul is writing to a group of Christ followers that for the most part, he's never met. They live in the capital city of the Roman Empire in Rome itself. It's about a million people at this point in history. Um, and he's writing for a wide variety of reasons that we're going to be looking at uh, in this series. And uh, I have the kind of a strong feeling this is probably going to be the longest series in the history of our church. Like we're over 45 years old, probably the longest. Uh, and there's several reasons for that. Uh, one of them is that I just started working this next week on message 15, and it's just wrapping up chapter one. So I don't know um, how you know this is going to go after chapter one, but so far uh, it's going uh, it's going kind of taking its time. Um, and so, um, but the reason, one of the reasons why, why this series is going to be so long is that what we're going to be looking at in this, this letter to the Romans, right? What we're going to be looking at is, is not just uh, the letter to the Romans, but we're going to use this as a jumping off point for understanding the rest of Paul's letters. Because our desire, our goal in this series is to really understand what does it look like to look at life from a Christian worldview, Right. At, the beginning, at the beginning of the year, we start with the, we talked about the importance of worldview. What does it look like to, to look at all of life uh, through a Christian worldview and through this kind of this story, this account of human history, of account of God's work in the human race that Paul summarizes by this term that we'll see today, the gospel of God. And uh, it's, it's going to take us on an epic journey, and uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, but before we jump into this letter today, I want to address one other topic it's there in your note sheet. It's called the gospel, the, pow uh, uh, the power of context, right? So, so as I was working on this message this week, it took a turn on me earlier in the week, and, and I felt like this was a teachable moment uh, in the life of our church, and that I needed to address something that I think could be helpful for, for us as 
not just for this series, but for, for kind of all of our life together here at Rocky Peak. And so um, if you've been here at Rocky Peak for any length of time at all, you know that whenever we start a new series, it's going to be a study of a book or a letter in the Bible, like the book of Acts or the book of John, or we just finished 1 Corinthians. You know that when we do that, we, you know, we normally start the first week with some of the backstory about that letter, right? So who wrote it? Uh, where, uh, who was it written to? Why was it written? When was it written? And so on, um, to, to better understand kind of what this letter is about. And so it's interesting because um, this week, I've had many people ask me, are you excited about the new series? And of course, I am excited, but I always have mixed feelings, honestly, about this first message. And the reason is, is that I know the way some of us in this room are wired, the way God has wired you, you love this stuff. You love the background. You love the history. You love the culture. Like, you could just say, hey, go on for three hours. Don't stop. I'm just eating this stuff up. And you, you just kind of love this type of thing, map work and all of that. You know, you say, love this kind of thing. And then there's others of you that are... Mm, not so much, you know? And you're like, yeah, you know, the way God has wired me, I just want to know the bottom line. Could you just tell me the principles and tell me what to do, and I'm good, right? And um, so, so the, what that does in me as a teacher, as a speaker, is it's like it creates this dissonance of, of like, well, how do I speak to everyone in a way that's truly helpful? In fact, I'm going to do a little survey here, all right? All right, so we've got two sides. So some of you are going to be like, oh, love this stuff, and others like, ah, yeah, okay. Um, so how many would say, hey, just naturally, this kind of backstory type of information, you love this stuff. Can I see your hands? Okay, there you go. All right. Now, how many would say, just honestly, hey, nothing against you, know, you personally, Michael, but just really not. Can we just jump to week two? Can we just can I see those people? Okay, yeah. All right, that's great. Yeah, so what I just learned is that most of you don't know who you are. Like, uh, you're like very tentative. Like, I don't know where this is going, and I'm not voting unless he says, are you for Jesus, right? <laughs> but I want to talk with you today just a little bit about why we do what we do the way we do it when it comes to our teaching. Why, why do we take some time this first week? And, and let me just kind of just take a couple minutes on that, because I think it's really important for us as a church, why do we do what we do? And, and it goes like this, is that for us at Rocky Peak, we just love the Word of God, right? We, we, love, we love the Bible. We believe that the Bible is divinely inspired Word of God, and that it's given to light our path, that it really is, as the psalmist says, it charts the path to life, right? And we believe, like Jesus said, that if you remain in my Word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we believe that, that properly understood, the Bible charts the path to life, and it, it releases us to be who we are created to be. But here's the other side, that when we don't take time to understand the message of the Bible in context, this word that's designed to lead us to life can actually lead us to death. And you see that all the time going on in culture, in history, and so on. And so what we believe here is that if we're going to understand the message of the Bible, we have to take the time to understand it, the kind of its historical, cultural, and especially its, its logic, just to kind of follow the author's logic and understand kind of the goal is really to understand what the author's original message to the original audience was before we start applying it to our lives. 
And so this, what this means is that as followers of Jesus, when we're reading the word, whether it's you're reading in your one-on-one time, you're in a small group like our life groups, or we're in our weekend services, the first question we should always ask is not, what does this mean to me? I don't really care what it means to you. As if the word has a million different meanings and we all create a meaning, what it means to me. The question we need to be asking is what does it mean? And then once we understand what it meant to the original, and the original author meant for the original reader, then we ask the question, okay, so what does that mean to me? Or that truth, those principles, how does that apply to my life? How does that lead to my life today? And I mean, how, how I should think, how I should act, and so on. And so that's why when we kick off a series, we always take time the first week just to set up a little bit of the backstory to help us understand better what this letter or book is actually teaching. And by the way, this is why every week when we're teaching through a book in the Bible, the first part of our teaching is always focused on just walking through the passage, Understand, following the author's uh, train of thought, following the flow of logic, uh, ex- explaining historical or cultural understandings before we jump into the end of the message where we lay out the life principles and start applying it. And, and one of the reasons we do this is not just so that we get it right on the weekends, but what we're doing very intentionally is modeling for you how you need to approach the word in your personal life. Because here's the thing. If we don't learn to read the word in context, chances are we will get off, off, uh, off track and that this very word that was meant to bring life can actually bring death. And also, the reason we teach like this is because we're modeling it for you so that you're not susceptible to false teachers. Because out there, increasingly in our culture, even in Christian circles, there's a lot of false teaching that's going on. And one of the reasons it's happening is Christians don't know their Bible and they don't know how to read their Bible. And so it's happening when some, a gifted speaker gets up and strings together 14 passages together and, and, and creates a narrative and you don't know how to read your Bible, that it all makes sense. And so Peter warns us, he says, hey, back in Israel's day, false teachers arose among the people. And he says, false teachers are gonna rise among you too. And so one of our goals is to teach you how to be what we call a self-feeding Christ follower. Some that you know the word, you can read the word, you're studying the word, so you can smell out false teaching. You can recognize it so that the word that Jesus has given us to lead to life leads to life in your life and not death. Amen? Amen. All right. So, hey, that was for free. That's not even part of Romans. That's just kind of the bonus you get for coming on day one of this series. All right. Now, let's talk about Romans a little bit, right? So, so we're going to jump in and talk just a little bit about the backstory, you know, of, of this letter. What do we know? So I put there four bullets that will help you uh, kind of identify, kind of organize some of our thoughts. So number one, let's talk about the Apostle Paul. So one of the things that we know is we know this book of Romans, everyone agrees on this, was written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, we actually know both when and where he wrote it. So he wrote it uh, from the city of Corinth, right? We just finished the study of Corinthians. He wrote it from Corinth. He wrote it at the very end of what we call his third 
missionary journey. We'll talk about that more later. And so we're going to place the date within a year or two, either way, a year either way, in like 57 AD. So he's writing this letter about 25 years into the movement of Jesus, all right? Secondly, we also know that he's, he's kind of writing this at a major crossroads in his life. Uh, for, for those who have eyes to see, he was the man in our opening story, right? That this man who's come to the city uh, that he what, didn't grow up in, uh, it's not his home city, but he's here for three months. And uh, he's here to, to strengthen the church. And it's from, this, uh, from Corinth that he's going to write this letter. Um, and uh, he's facing a major crossroads. So let's talk about the Apostle Paul and what his life story is a little bit, why he's at this crossroads. So, uh, so New Testament scholars, uh, most of them would agree that uh, we're going we're to put the death of Jesus of Nazareth and his resurrection at 30 AD. And we're going to put that at 30 AD. And most would put the conversion of Paul, uh, Apostle Paul uh, at around between one and three years after that. So let's just split the difference, call it two years, we'll call it 32 AD. So what we know about Paul is that, you know, he was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. And so when the movement of Jesus got launched, he was one of the most, most radically violent opponents of this movement. But about a couple years into it, he meets Jesus. He has an incredible uh, encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, uh, on the road to Damascus, as he's approaching the walls of the ancient city, <clears throat> Jesus shows up. Now, Paul is going there like as a spiritual bounty hunter to arrest Christians, and, and Jesus meets him. And as a result of this encounter, not only does Jesus uh, forgive Paul, but he commissions him to be one of his authorized official spokespeople. We call them apostles. And so uh, if you jump forward in time, eventually the Holy Spirit is going to lead Paul to, to begin sharing Jesus in a very intentional way throughout the major coastal cities of modern-day Turkey and Greece. All right? So for this, we're going to need to do a little bit of map work. So there, your, your handout, you have a map. Let's get oriented. Uh, at the bottom of the map on the right side, you see Jerusalem, right? So you, you see, everyone see that? Okay, good. So let's kind of mark that. So this is where uh, the Apostle Paul grew up, was educated. It's where he was when the movement of Jesus started. Um, now, if we're going to move north, we're going to move north up to the city of Antioch. So Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, and it became a hotbed for early Gentile Christianity. And this became the Apostle Paul's home church. And it was from this church that the Holy Spirit sent him out on what we call his first of three kind of Jesus-sharing tours, right, throughout Turkey and Greece. And, uh, and so traditionally, these three tours of duty, uh, we call them his missionary journeys. So and if you were to look at the back of your Bible, if you have maps in the back, almost certainly there, you will find maps of Paul's first, second, and third missionary journey. And so Paul's strategy is he's going to go uh, on these major coastal cities of the Roman Empire, and he's going to share the message of Jesus, catch this, where it's never gone before. So Paul felt very specific call in his life to share Jesus where he'd never gone before. So he would go into a city, he would share the message of Jesus, uh, and he would start a new Jesus community there. And, uh, and then later he would kind of write back letters. So 
Uh, if we keep moving, if we go to the left now on our map, we leave Antioch, which is his home church. We move around and we start going up the coast of the Aegean Sea. And we come to Ephesus. So Ephesus is the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Paul's going to spend about two to three years here on his third missionary trip journey. And, uh, he's gonna, and, and as a result, many churches in and around Ephesus are going to start. For example, Colossae is one of them. And so later on, he's going to write back to these churches, and he's going to write this letter that we call the letter to the Ephesians. Now, if we continue moving north up the coast, we move over now west to the left to Philippi and Thessalonica. We have now moved from the continent of Asia into the continent of Europe. The gospel's never gone there. So Paul's going to establish uh, Jesus' communities in Philippi and Thessalonica, two very important cities, and he will later write back to them, the letter of Philippians and two letters of First and Second Thessalonians. Now, as you move down the coast, he's going to continue down the coast to the um, Aegean Sea. And I want you to notice where it's labeled Greece. So Greece is what we call it now. At the time, it was called the provinces of Macedonia and Achaia. That'll come up later. But, uh, but one, one thing that's not on our map here is an area called Illyricum. And you'll see that later today when we get into what Paul says. But that was a region, a Roman province that was really, if you kind of, if you look at that word Greece and you went to where the G is, it's sort of on that coastal area and going north from there, Illyricum. Now, if you go back where we, we left off and we move down the coast, we come to Corinth. And of course, that's where our last series was of this major strategic city we talked about in our last series. This is where Paul is at when he's writing the letter of Romans, okay? So he's in Corinth. It's about 57 AD. He's writing a letter to the church of Rome or the house churches of Rome. So if you go to the left, you're gonna go over and you see Italy, you see the boot, and then you see Rome, home to about a million people. Right? So we'll talk later about what we know about the church at Rome. But what I want you to catch at this point is that Paul is at a critical crossroads in his life. The assignment that the Spirit has given Paul is to share Jesus in these major uh, cities. And then from the cities, the churches that he planted, it's their responsibility to send the gospel out in their area. And so he's at a critical point in his life. Uh, he's probably about 25 years after he's become a follower of Jesus. And he feels like he's really finished what the Holy Spirit gave him to do, starting churches in Turkey and Greece. So now his next major uh, major plan, his next major adventure, like we talked about in the man in the opening story, here's his vision. He wants to go to Spain. So Spain is at the far, it's like at the end of the Roman world. It's the far reaches uh, of the Roman Empire. And uh, he wants to go to the, to the cities in Spain and share Jesus there where the gospel has never gone. Uh, but he plans to go to Rome first, like to stop in Rome and visit the Christians there first. So that leads to the next bullet on our note sheet, which is the Church of Rome. So what do we know about the Church of Rome? Well, first of all, we know Paul didn't start it. So this is an unusual letter because normally when Paul's writing this letter, not always, but normally he's writing to people that he's led to Jesus and started the church, like the Corinthians and Philippians and um, uh, Thessalonians and so on. Um, and so he's writing to, uh, to a church that he doesn't know personally. 
And uh, so what do we know about this, this, uh, this church? Well, we, it's, it's kind of shrouded in mystery, really. Like, we don't know, for example, how it got started. Um, one of the best theories, <clears throat> and some of you will remember that when the Church of Jesus started, it got started 10 days after Jesus left planet Earth. And you remember that 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit came on the first believers. And the Holy Spirit came at, uh, on, the, on the day called the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the three great pilgrim feasts that would happen annually. So as a result of that, the Holy Spirit came on the first believers when there were visitors from all over the Roman Empire. And Luke, in Acts chapter 2, gives the story. Here's where they came from, a long list. But guess what? The last name on the list is visitors from Rome. So we know that when the Holy Spirit came, Peter preached his first message. 3,000 people came to Jesus, and they're all Jewish, and the message of Jesus is our Messiah, right? That, that we know there were visitors from Jews from Rome there who were there. And so one of the best theories is that, that during those early days of the movement of Jesus, some of these, these Jewish people from, who had come to worship at the temple came to Jesus, and they took the message of the Messiah has come back to some of the synagogues of Rome. So most scholars agree that the, the Church of Rome probably started Jewish, but for reasons that we won't go into a lot of detail here, but one of the, the primary, but one of the primary issues is that twice uh, Roman Caesars, in between the start of the early church and the, and the time of the book of Romans, twice in those 50 years, the Roman Caesars kicked all Jews out of Rome, the anti-Semitism. And so most scholars believe that by the time Paul is writing this letter to, what? <laughs> World history, chapter 11, Rome and Christianity flashcards. All right, there we go. So helpful. Uh, I love Siri. She's always ready to help, right? Just like so amazing. But anyway, um, so that most scholars believe that by the time that Paul is writing this letter, the church in Rome is primarily made up of Gentile believers. And catch this, that there are indications in the letter that there is a tension between the Jewish minority and Gentile majority in the house churches of Rome. We'll talk more about that later, okay? Uh, now, the next bullet. So let's talk a little bit about the letter of Romans. So what do we know about the letter? Well, we don't know a lot about, the, like, why did Paul write it? Why, why did Paul write this letter? We don't know for sure uh, a lot of reasons, but a couple things seemed uh, pretty clear. And number one is that remember we said that Paul was at this crossroads of his life and that his plan was to, uh, to travel to Rome and then to move on to Spain. And what we're going to learn today is that Paul really, like the man in our opening story, he realizes that in order to be successful in Spain, he's going to need the help of like a home church closer than Antioch, too far away. And so he's going to go to Rome and enlist their support. Now, he doesn't really, initi he doesn't really tell us what kind of support. Uh, it could be financial. Um, it could be leadership, like recruiting people for his church planting mission. It could be prayer support, but as we'll see, that he wants to, uh, to he's going to enlist their support. So it seems pretty clear that one of the reasons he's writing this letter is to let them know, I'm coming, and this, I'm, I'm looking forward to your help, 
And secondly, he wants to explain to them his gospel, his message. And you may remember this, but in the early church, uh, we look at Paul as a great hero today, but remember in the early church, he was often a controversial figure. And there are many people who question whether he was a true apostle of Jesus because he wasn't one of the 12. And on top of that, uh, Paul was given such tremendous insight into the gospel and its implications that not everyone was quick to see. And so there were a lot of people slandered his message. Think of it today, for example, about how the non-Christian world presents pro-life people, right? We see this all the time. Like, if you don't like what someone's saying, you slander their message, you twist their message. You, and that happened a lot to the Apostle Paul, and we see evidence of it in the letter of Romans. He will say things like in chapter six, he'll say, hey, well, if we're saved by faith and uh, by grace and not by works, and hey, maybe we should just keep on sinning so that grace will increase as it's often claimed that we teach. So Paul is writing to kind of introduce himself to the church of Rome to share his message, this is my gospel, uh, and to counteract some of the accusations and the slander that has been uh, given against him. He also seems to be writing to address some of this tension between the Jewish minority and the Gentile majority. And we'll see that when we get to chapter 14 and 15. But there seems to be some misunderstanding about both Gentiles and Jews about what is the big story of, of God. What is, how does the coming of Christ, how does that fit into the story of Israel? How does this story of uh, living by faith uh, and not by works, how does that fit into the law of Moses and he who does this will live? How does this whole thing fit together? And so what we have in this, in this letter is the most uh, kind of the, the largest kind of the Himalayan mountains of all Paul's letters, where he's going to stand back and explain this big picture story of God that he calls the gospel of God that starts with the first creation and Adam and the first sin and leads to through Abraham and through the coming of Moses and the law of Moses and the promise of the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah, and that ends all the way with the new creation that's coming. And so this is going to give Paul the opportunity to share this big picture story that he calls the gospel of God. Now, one last thing, the final project. So if you remember from the opening story, one of the things I said is that that Paul knows he's at a major crossroads in his life. He's, He's ready to strike out on this next huge venture going to Spain. Uh, but he, 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 before he can do that, he has one final project, very close to his heart, he needs to finish. And what that project was, and some of you will remember this from our study of Corinthians, this pro- that one of the major projects that took up these several years of Paul's life is he was taking collections from his, uh, he was doing fundraising with his mostly Gentile churches that he was gonna deliver in person to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And there was a couple reasons for this. For reasons we don't always understand, many in that church were very poor. And so Jesus says, one of the things we do is we help the poor. And so that would be kind of a first reason. But there was a second reason that was at least as important. And that's, we often forget this, but when the early movement of Jesus, this concept that God's vision from all eternity 
was to create one new community of the Messiah that where the walls would be broken down between Jews and Gentiles forever, that they would live together forever. This is God's eternal plan, was a radical idea. In a world where Gentiles had a lot of anti-Semitism and where Jews looked at Gentiles as the reprobate, the dogs who are going to be. And so this message that, 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 that God seemed to, Jesus seemed to give to Paul more clarity than anyone else was very controversial. And so he wanted to look for a practical way. How do I unite the Gentile movement of Jesus with the Jewish movement of Jesus? And he felt like one of the most practical things we do is take an offering from our Gentile churches, a love offering for the poor in Jerusalem. And his hope is that they would receive this well, and this would build a strong bond in the early movement of Jesus. And um, we'll talk later about what actually happened. It's not exactly what Paul was anticipating, all right? So this is the project that he has to finish. And so this is, what we, this, this is what we know about the letter to the Romans. Now, here's the thing. As I wove this story, a backstory, uh, I want us to go not to the start of Romans, but towards the end of Romans, where Paul actually kind of describes some of his travel plans and much of what I've just told you in his own words, all right? So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go to uh, chapter 15. And we're going to pick it up at verse 14. Now, uh, Paul has just finished the major body of his letter. Like he, he's now starting to wrap things up. And uh, so this, the main body of his letter that starts in chapter one, verse 18 or verse uh, 16, um, and goes all the way to the middle of chapter 15, he's kind of wrapping up the, the, uh, the, his, um, his letter. And so he says, on uh, verse 14, he says, I myself am convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, and you're competent to instruct one another. Now, if you think of it, that's high praise from the Apostle Paul. Think of what, how he wrote to the Corinthians. I wish I could write to you like mature people, but you're acting like babies, right? So this is high praise for this church. Apparently, uh, there's some tension, but in general, there is no major heresy going on. There is no major sinful lives going on. And so he says, yet, verse 15, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace, kind of the supernatural power that God has given me, uh, like his, one of his apostles. Right? And he says, uh, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So Paul's primary calling was to share the message of Jesus with Gentiles. Now, he's going to move into an analogy here. Remember how we talked about the church is like the, the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right, right. So he's going to use an analogy, and he says that his role as an apostle, it's kind of like he's a, like a priest. So in, um, in, of course, in Jerusalem at this time, the temple is still operating, the massive community, and you've got all these priests there who are offering daily sacrifices, animals, drink offerings, grain offerings, that are acceptable to God. They're made holy by, they're sanctified to God. And so Paul says, that's kind of my role, except instead in this new temple, instead of offering animal sacrifices, what I'm offering is the Gentiles who have come to Jesus, have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit to live for God. And so he's going to use that analogy. And so he says, therefore, I... Um, uh, in verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus. And that word minister in the Greek is often used like a religious servant, uh, like in the temple. 
So to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming, what's he proclaiming? Ah, that's where we got our, that's where series title, right? The gospel of God, which is so much bigger than we've often understood. We'll be talking about that. Proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering. Right? He's the priest, they're the offering, acceptable to God, uh, sanctified or set apart by his Holy Spirit. So I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. And I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ, remember Christ means the Messiah, what the Messiah has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to do what? Okay, we're going to be learning that the gospel is much bigger than we thought. And, and what we're learning is the gospel is invitation, but the gospel is also command. It's an invitation from the Savior. It's a command of the king. And the gospel is a command. There's a new king in the universe. It's time to repent and come under his leadership. And so he describes his gospel as, it, as leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said, by what I've done. And he says, by the power of signs and wonders or miracles. So that one of the ways that God authenticated Paul's claim to be a representative of Jesus, an apostle, was through the supernatural signs and wonders. And he says, by the powers of signs and wonders and through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem, so remember our map. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Remember where Illyricum was? So this area of Turkey and Greece, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I've done what the Spirit told me to do. I've launched these new communities of Christ followers in these major cities. And then from there, the gospel can go out to the surrounding area. He says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel of Christ where, um, where Christ was not known. And so Paul felt the specific calling in his life uh, to use a building analogy, not to build on someone else's foundation, but to lay the foundation for the new community of Jesus. And all these cities, to, to take the message of Jesus where it's never gone before. He says, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, and this is a quote from one of the most famous passages in all the Old Testament for the New Testament church. It's from Isaiah, the end of Isaiah 52, which is the start of the famous passage about the suffering servant who would come and die for the sins of the nation. And so Paul says, this is a verse that always spoke to him. I, I believe the Holy Spirit probably gave Paul this verse as part of his personal life call. He says, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That was his personal, personal life mission, to take the gospel where it had never gone before, which is why he wants to go to Spain. And he says, and that's why I've often been hindered from coming to you. He's wanted to come and visit the Christians at Rome, but he's just been, his hands have been full carrying out this assignment that Jesus has given him in Turkey and Greece. And he says, but now, since there's no more place for, um, to, uh, for me to work in these regions, he's at this major crossroads of his life. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, here's my plan. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. This is his next major venture. And he said, I hope to see you while passing through. So his, his job is not to plant a church in Rome. There's already a church in Rome. So he's just going to be passing through. And he said, and to have you assist me on my journey there. So he's looking to them to support him in, in whatever ways he needs to help share the gospel in Spain. He said, after I've enjoyed your company for a while. He says, now, however, I've got this final project to do. 
Uh, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Achaia, in other words, the churches of Greece. They were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Skip to verse 28. So after I have completed this task and I made sure that they have received this contribution after I've gone to Jerusalem, then I will go to Spain and I will visit you on the way. Now, Paul is very concerned though because he's, he's got two specific concerns. His concern, first of all, is that if he goes to Jerusalem, he, his life is in danger. We forget this, but the Apostle Paul, for many of the Jews in Jerusalem who were not believing in Jesus Messiah, he was, he'd become public enemy number one. They felt about him like he used to felt about the Christians when he'd arrest and ex- have them executed. They hated him. A picture of this today, I think to kind of catch the emotion, is picture today a very radicalized Islamic state. Okay? And picture that one of the top imams becomes a follower of Jesus and then leaves and later comes back to that nation. Do you think there'd be a price on his head? This is exact. when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he is seen as this is the guy who's sharing this blasphemous message about a crucified Messiah that by rights, by according to the law, anyone crucified on a cross is under the curse of God. This guy is undermining our faith all over the world. And so he realizes it's dangerous. Secondly, he realizes that he's just, he's really praying that these Christians, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem will accept this generous offering as a way of building this bond. And he doesn't know for sure if they will. So he wants to ask the Romans to be praying for him for both of these issues. And so he says, I urge you, verse 30, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray, first of all, that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. And then second, that the contribution, this financial contribution that I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you and go to Jerusalem and come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. And what Paul doesn't know is that things are not going to be planned as God's planned. Remember what I said that what he doesn't know is something's going to happen on this trip that's going to derail his plan and change his future forever. What we know from the book of Acts is that Paul does go to Jerusalem after writing this letter. He takes the long way around the land route for most of it, and then see by the end. And when he gets there, the Jewish church does receive him well, so that part seems to go well. But shortly after his arrival, when he's on the huge, massive temple grounds, some serious false accusations by some Jews who had known his work in Ephesus, that they make some uh, some very serious accusation. This leads to a riot. Paul is literally almost torn limb from limb. The Roman regiment has to rush down from the corner of the temple uh, complex, from, the, uh, from the, the citadel up there. They have to come down. They rescue him. And the end result is that Paul is going to be arrested by Rome. He's going to spend the next two years of his life in prison in the seaside provincial capital of Caesarea. And eventually, to get out of prison, he's going to have to appeal his case as a Roman citizen to Caesar. And so he is going to get to Rome, but not like he thought. And he's going to go uh, 
several years later, and he's going to go as a prisoner in chains, taken to Rome. And so, man, that raises some huge questions. Like, have you ever been in your life, really felt like God was leading you clearly, and you take that step, and then all hell breaks loose? We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, right? About discerning God's will in our life. But anyway, so, so that's the background to this story, this, this book, right? So, so what we're looking at is we, let's put it all together. We, we come to start this story. What we're looking at is, is we're looking at a, a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul uh, at a major crossroads in his life, about 25 years after he's a believer. Um, he's writing to the Church of Rome, a church that he's never been to. He knows several people there, as we'll see in chapter 16. He knows many people there who he's met in his travels around the Roman Empire, but in general, he doesn't know these people. And he seems to be writing to let him know he's coming, uh, maybe to introduce his message, to defend some of the slander against him and his message, um, and to, to address in particular some of the conflict perhaps between Jews and Gentiles and, and how the story of Jesus fits into the larger story of God being told from Adam through Israel uh, to the end of time. And so whatever other reasons he wrote, which we don't know, the end result is we have probably the most important and influential letter ever written in the history of the world. And in this letter, it really is like the Mount Everest of all the letters of the Apostle Paul. And in this letter, he stands back and he tells a story that starts with the, new, with the first creation and Adam and his rebellion. And then all the way through, we're going to go through, we're going to go through the Abraham and the coming of Moses and the law of Moses and the rise of King David. And, and then leads all the way to the coming of the Messiah, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and catches all the implications, the epic implications of his life, death, and resurrection, the epic implications, not only for each of our lives, but for all creation. And this is what Paul calls the gospel of God. Right? Now, I've got one question for you as we wrap up today. And honestly, it's an easy question. It's the first week. I thought I'd let you off easy. Um, I know a lot of the questions I ask are hard, but this is not a hard question. Um, but it's an important question as we start. So let's, here's a question. The gospel of God, one key question. So here's a question. What is the gospel to you? Like when you hear the word gospel, what, what are the images, the thoughts, the reactions, the emotions, the associations that come to your mind? And my hunch is, depending on our background, that this, there could be a wide variety of uh, thoughts, emotions, reactions, uh, associations that come with this word gospel. But my guess is that for many of us, when we hear the word gospel, or we, we hear, hey, we're doing a series called The Gospel of God, that what comes to our mind is we, we think of the simple message of salvation. We think of uh, the message that Jesus came died for our sins, and if we accept him into our life as our savior, that we will be forgiven and go to heaven when we die. And what we're going to see in this series, not so much that that's wrong as that it's a, um, it's a very thin and watered down version of the gospel. What we're going to see is that for Jesus, for the early church, 
for the Apostle Paul that the gospel was their code word. It was like their shorthand for referring to this epic story of God that starts the first creation, ends at the end creation, the, the new creation, and centers kind of everything leading up and out of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and its epic implication for our lives, every part of our lives. You know, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, and I don't agree with all his conclusions, so you don't need to email me, but <laughs> his name is N.T. Wright, and, um, and you know, Paul is one of his expertise. And I, I was reading an article recently that he wrote about Paul and the gospel. And um, now that you have gospel glasses on, you're going to see this more. You're going to see things like in chapter 2, Paul's going to say, he's going to talk about the day that's coming where God will judge all the secrets of every person's heart through Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Like if, if we think of the God, did you think of, the, hey, the judgment day when he judges all the secrets, right? We saw today that Paul says his gospel is to bring the whole world to obedience to the Messiah. Hmm. Is that what you think of? What do you think of gospel? I think of in, when he writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, he says, you know, the law, the Old Testament law, it's not made for the righteous man. It's made for the murder. It's made for the sexually immoral. It's made for the uh, kind of uh, homosexual, it's made for the liars, it's made for this. He says, and everything else that's contrary to my gospel. Do you think of the gospel as taking in our new lifestyle? What does it look like to be a king? So if you, if you put on your gospel glasses, you were just to read through the letters of Paul, you'd be surprised at how often he talks about the gospel in ways that are very different than we often think about it. And so this article, uh, N.T. Wright was, was talking about that and giving all these illustrations and examples of how Paul talks about his gospel. Um, and, and then at the end of the article, he says this. He summarizes, he says, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. You know, over and over in his writings, he says it defined his work. It defined his communities, these new communities of Jesus. It was his shorthand summary of the theology, which in turn was the foundation for the central pillar for the new worldview. And we started this year with a series on worldview. And we said, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? It's, it's to be transformed in the way we think. So we see all of life from God's point of view. You know, we get to Romans chapter 12. Paul's going to say, in light of the last 11 chapters, what I've explained about the gospel, he says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, to present your, your bodies, your whole lives, as living sacrifices. Temple analogy again, right? As living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is the only logical response of worship. And then he said, and don't be conformed to this world, 
its way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind is so that you can experience the will of God in your life, that which is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. See, God has a will for each of our lives, and it's revealed in the gospel. He's come to transform us. He's come to, to rescue and restore and show all creation that the only way we can experience God's will for our lives is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And for that to happen, it means we need a new and complete worldview. And so worldview that Paul is going to be laying out in this series, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to look at life? Like what happened to you when you became a Christian? Who were you before you were a Christian? What's basically wrong with this world? And what's the solution? And Paul says, Paul's going to take 16 chapters to explain to us the gospel of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to use this letter as a launching off place for all of his letters. And the goal is that we would, we would develop a new worldview, seeing life from God's point of view that would be completely transformative of every area of our life. And can I tell you something? We live in a culture right now that's falling apart. We're going to get there in Romans 1, where Paul says, this is the core sin of the human race, that though we knew the truth about God, this revealed in, through his creation, revealed in our human nature, revealed in conscience, we rejected that truth because we didn't like what it required or what it revealed. And he said, this leads to a downward spiral of the human race, of culture that starts with spiritual confusion. It leads to sexual confusion, and it ends with social chaos. Hey, hello? <laughs> Welcome to the U.S. of A. Yeah. Amen? Right. And so as we go through this series, we're going to be contrasting what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and see life from his point of view and to be transformed with the backdrop of what our culture is telling us and calling us to be. And I think it's going to be one of the most amazing series we ever go through. Like I said, I think it's going to be one of the longest series. Well, let's just put it like it's going to be the longest series. I'll be, if I don't, I'll buy all ice cream. All right, so of a celebration, hey, we ended, you know, and we did, it wasn't the longest. Um, hey, but it's going to be an amazing journey because we're going to use this as a launching point to get into Paul's mind and see through his eyes this epic vision. Can I tell you something? I can almost guarantee you that your vision of the gospel is way too small. And I know because mine is way too small. And when you're reading the Apostle Paul, have you ever noticed this? He cannot say anything like normally. <laughs> he is always using words like all, every, overflowing, exceeding, overcoming, exceedingly overcoming. I'm just blown away. The guy, I mean, every time he talks about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it is mind-blowing. And we have reduced the gospel down in such small dimensions that men, when we're not living the lives we're called to live, 
If we're going to live a new life, a big life, we have to have a big vision. And that's what we're going to get through this series. That together, we're going to unpack this, and we're going to see this incredible worldview, what it means, what it means to be followers of what happened as a result of the life and death and resurrection and how the whole big picture story of God, the story of Israel and the law, how it all comes together to lead to a transformed life, a renewing of our minds, a new experience of God's will in our life and catch us the end of the story when Jesus comes back to restore all creation into the glory of the sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. So Father, we're just here at the start of a new journey and I just want to ask you to come, Lord, and just be with us in this new adventure that we're launching into. God, these things are above us, and if there's anything we learn from the Apostle Paul, it's that we can't see them on our own. He says in 1 Corinthians 2 that, that the natural man cannot perceive the things of the Spirit, but that we've received the Spirit that's from God so we can understand the things that are freely given to us. He says in Ephesians 1, he's praying that God would would open the eyes of the heart to these believers around Ephesus so that they might know the power that's available to them. They might know the future that's theirs. In chapter 3, he prays that, that our minds would be expanded. We might know the height and the depth, the breadth and the width, and to know the love of God that's beyond experience. Over and over, he says that this happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we invite you to come. We ask you to come. We ask you to supernaturally open our eyes to the truth, the truth about life, the truth about ourselves, the truth about the path of life, the truth about our culture, that we would rise with you to a new life, the life you died to give us. Father, as we sing this song, as we affirm these words, may the May they be the words with us with new expectation, new anticipation that I believe in the gospel. I believe in the power of the gospel. May we experience that power in new and exciting, new, new ways we've never experienced before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.